0: Welcome to Sports Beat KC, the Kansas City Stars daily sports podcast. It's Tuesday, August 24th, and I'm Blair Kirchhoff. Royals beat writer Lynn Worthy and columnists Sam Mellinger and Vahe Gregorian got together on a Sports Beat Live earlier today. Now it's presented in podcast form, and we talked about what's going right with this team lately. It's many things, starting with the pitching. Daniel Lynch last night in Houston, Carlos Hernandez and Chris Bubich over the weekend against the Cubs, Brad Keller, Brady Singer, Mike Miner, they've all contributed to a hot stretch for the rotation. What does this mean for next season? And speaking of 2022, we discuss how the Royals could shape up in the middle infield with several options. Nicky Lopez, Witt Merrifield, Aldoberto Mondesi, Bobby Witt, there are some above average candidates here at shortstop, second base, and maybe center mm-hmm. field and third base among this group. So let's get started talking Royals. Hey, good morning from Kansas City. Welcome to Sports Beat Live, our weekly discussion of all things Royals. We do that with the beat writing and columnizing folks here at the Star and with you. Please send us your questions and comments and join us in the discussion. I'd like to thank our sponsor, the University of Kansas Health System. They've been with us all season long, and you will hear from them later in the show. So, good morning, guys. What's up? That good is for, morning. That is resplendent well, splendid green you're, you're wearing, Vahe. That is that is Oakland A's green.
1: <laughs> and here I was picking it for, for neutral colors that wouldn't be attributed to any team. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You no, know, not many teams wear wear the green, right? Your your beloved Eagles, little green there.
1: Little Packers, but it is yeah, a little homage to our uh, baseball roots here in Kansas City. Yeah, there you go. I like it. Earlier so, roots, anyway.
0: That's right. All right, let's uh, let me start by asking this question. For the last week, uh, eight days or so, are we watching one of the best teams in baseball, Lynn Worthy?
2: For that period of time, yes. yes. For that, <laughs> yep. for that yep. period of time, I hesitate to go uh, much further with that. <laughs> but yes, for that period of time. And the other thing is, is like you can look at that series with the Cubs and say, okay, the Cubs are, you know, in a spot where they've traded off a lot of their team and you know, playing some bad ball, but. They've been putting a whooping on the Astros, who are you know leading the AL West and uh, a team who's one of the best offensive teams in uh, baseball right now. And um, their pitching has uh, has come up. I mean, come come to play and and really led the way. So yeah, and that in and this last you know they won. Uh, I think it's six out of seven now, or seven out of eight, four in a row. Uh, they've they've played good all around ball, but obviously it's a small sample size, as we like to say.
0: Cubs also messing around with rain delays, so um, get a lot going for them there. Uh, a good place to start is the starting pitching; it really has been terrific. Uh, so, what what did I see? A, a two two seven four ERA over the last eight games. The starters, but the Royals are seven and one in one of those games, and the starters are five and zero. Oh. And that continued on Monday night with uh, Daniel Lynch's performance: five innings, one earned run against the Astros yeah you're right, Lynn they they beat the Astros once again. That is four out of five from one of the best teams in the American League. I saw a great stat against the White Sox and the Indians. Uh, the Astros are you know well over five hundred. I mean, terrific record. Against the Royals Twins and Tigers, well under five hundred. So the Astros have a problem against teams with with poor records. But that doesn't take away from how well the Royals are playing. Because even before that, if you throw out the Cardinals series, there have been some really nice moments for the Royals since the All-Star break. So, Sam, it's all it's been about the starting pitching, hasn't it? I mean, that's at least that's where we need to start this discussion.
3: Yeah, and, and um, I'd also say, like, Cal Eldred took his fair share of <laughs> uh, poop. Uh, <laughs> it, it, many times during the season. And, and I hope like whatever degree people did that, they're, you know, sending him some flowers now. The the Daniel Lynch thing, and I'm glad we're doing this the day after he pitched. I mean, the, that turnaround is just remarkable. It's six starts and it's a, a 2.27 ERA across 35 innings, uh, 35 and two-thirds innings, um, in six starts since he came back up. Um, he just looks confident. Everything's worked. I mean, it's just it, that turnaround, I think, is sort of illustrative of, you know, some other things that are going on, too. But, uh, God, he's been he's been incredible.
2: And I might point out that, you know, folks who are watching this can read about Daniel Lynch in that turnaround on the KansasCity.com. <laughs> sure, yeah. Absolutely yeah, as a matter can. of fact, I just tweeted out a story about
0: that. <laughs> In fact, they, they could absolutely have, have read it on their e-edition. Look, they could read it on KansasCity.com as soon as the game is over because that's how quickly you post game stories, Lynn. But uh, now it's also part of the, the replica of the newspaper, which is the e-edition on, on uh, KansasCity.com, full game story. Speaking of Daniel Lynch, you know, watching him last night, the movement on his pitches, he is I don't know if he's top of the rotation, but he's darn close to being a top of the rotation talent, it seems to me, which gives the Royals, at least in the last few weeks, two candidates at that position with, with these young arms, talking about Carlos Hernandez as well. And I can't remember the last time the Royals had two guys like with, with seemingly the upside that these two have. What do you think, Vai? It,
1: it It is hard to remember. Even in, in, in my eight years here, I don't quite remember it like this with two young guys I have to wonder. I, I don't have Hernandez's numbers in front of me, but I I know that obviously he's been I think almost the same kind of par as as Lynch. Maybe maybe a notch behind in in overall innings. I'm not sure about that in this six last six starts. But have we seen a guy have six starts in, in a row like Lynch in a decade? I don't recall
2: that.
0: Not unless Ventura got on a roll or something. Or um, I I can't either. Hernandez's last five starts. 2.05 ERA, 215 opponents batting average, he's 3-0, and and he has just started seven games this year, right? He came, he was out of the bullpen for the first dozen or so, and he's only been a starter for the last seven games. And my gosh, um, it's kind of an exciting prospect for an organization not known for developing pitchers.
1: It does start to reframe the discussion, doesn't it? And we've gone this far and have only made a veiled mention of the guy who went six no-hit innings the other day. So I, I don't I don't need to cut you off at the pass there, Blair, but it does it does seem like some of these things are percolating in a way that um, certainly we wouldn't have foreseen a month ago as we look to what it's going to mean in the future.
0: Chris Boobidge is who you're talking about, who started the game on Saturday and was just lights out for six innings. And then the lights came on at Wrigley Field. <laughs> <laughs> and so did the tarp. And so there was a delay for, what about, was it 37, 38 minutes, Lynn? Let's just say the field was in great shape after the delay. <laughs> but Mike Matheny was not. So just let's go back to that game in particular. Um, Chris Bubich had, was, was just looking fantastic. He comes back in after the delay, gives up a walk and then a home run, so the no-hitter is gone. But still a, a great performance by him.
2: Yeah, and it was also coming off of probably his worst performance in the majors. Um, so to turn that around, go to Wrigley and turn in six no-hit innings. And really, you know, who knows what happens if that's, they don't have that delay. Should be pointed out with the delay because I've heard, you know, it's been said a bunch of times there was a rain delay without rain there was rain it just wasn't enough that it should have delayed the game for full accuracy there was rain it just wasn't enough to stop you know a little league game much less a major league <laughs> game um and i think there was also lightning was part of it and you saw at least on the tv screens and everything you saw that they had posted on the um scoreboard that you know for people to get underneath because of lightning. so but 34 minutes when there was not much going on in the middle of a no hitter. Is, is tough for anybody to swallow. Um, you heard Mike Matheny speak uh, pretty candidly about that. Nikki Lopez talked about it on the radio uh, just yesterday with Merrifield, talked about how they were still ticked off about that. So, yeah, it was uh, a rough way to go. But, again, in that larger scheme, Chris Bubich comes off with his worst start and then turns in a, a no-hitter for the better part of seven innings or going into the seventh inning. I don't know if uh, Chicago native Bill Murray was on hand but they
1: could have used him there in his Carl Spackler role from Caddyshack, saying, "I'd play on." Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, it was another win for the Royals that day, and like I said, they've uh, that was four in a row now for the Royals and seven out of eight. And they could have won that that eighth game. That was the game where they had a three to one lead on the Astros late. Astros came back. It was the afternoon game at Kauffman Stadium, the final game of that series last week, and uh, Astros ended up winning that game in in extra innings. So. I know, Sam. I know you addressed this in your Melinger minutes that posted on KansasCity.com, and will be uh, will be attached to the show notes on on this show. Is there a a 2013 feeling for this team? the The Royals now are 56 and 68, so 12 games under 500. After the same amount of games in 2013, the Royals were exactly 500. They were 64 and 64, but they would go on to lose a bunch more before they turned it around at the end of August and then the great September to finish 10 games over 500. Are there some elements of this team
3: that feel like 2013 to you? I think more 2012 for me um, than 2013. That that 2013 team, that was that core. I think Hosmer, Perez, a bunch of those guys were like 23. Twenty-four years old. Alex Gordon, I think, was twenty-nine. Lorenzo Cain, twenty-seven. I mean, it was. I think they were in a different spot. And I also think this, though, the the similarities to the twenty twelve team include that was the our, T- our time season. It was the our time season, and there were some expectations, and there was it was a building thing, and it was just a huge disappointment. And many jokes were told, um, including <laughs> some by me. Um, but it was that core that was kind of coming together and moving forward. And I think that's the similarity that I see. I also think, though, that the way they're doing it this time is is different enough from the first time that I don't know that those comparisons are like apples to apples. The, the important thing right now is what we've been talking about. It's it's Lynch and it's Bubic and it's Hernandez, who is just a boss. Um, it's these guys getting going because most of the, the talent in the minor leagues is uh, position players. And so if they get these arms where they need to, then the position players come up. Whether that's sometime, uh, you know, this season, uh, the little we have left, although Lynn has explained, uh, you know, why that's a little bit problematic um, or it's next year or whatever. But these position players are going to come join. And I think that might be the 2013 years next year. Which was a positive year, right? It was-, it was great. I mean, yeah, it was 86 and 76. It was their first winning season since the the great fluke of 2003. <laughs> and, you know, they were sort of in the playoff hunt um, until I think they were eliminated with maybe a week left, if I remember right, or five mm-hmm. days, something like that. It was real. <laughs> you know. What I mean, it was it was with good players. It wasn't, you know, Jose Lima signed sight unseen because he reached 85 miles an hour at the fastball. I mean, these were like good young players that you could see really, really taken with some traction. Um, and I think that's kind of where this thing might be headed. I mean, the, the, the biggest difference, another reason why I think the comparisons are a little bit they're not great is the division is so good. <laughs> there's just there's a lot of talent in this division. It wasn't like that. Uh, the first time around. So the, the standard is a little bit higher now, I think.
0: There is talent in this division, but right now, second place Cleveland is about 500, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's the White Sox, who have not been playing well lately, at the top, and then four also rands in this yeah, scale. If, if you
3: look at farm system rankings, that was kind of where I'm thinking. And, um, you know, the Tigers have some really, really true high-end guys. Um, the White Sox, their farm system kind of stinks, but it's because all their guys are 24 years old and crushing it in, in, in the big leagues. Um, the Indians have some guys. The Twins are a little bit, you know, hit and miss, but it's just the White Sox are going to be really good for a long time, you know, for at least two, three, four years, I would think, um, with the way that thing's built. So um, certainly doesn't make anything impossible, but it's just it's it's a different dynamic than existed uh, when they were
2: doing this the first time. The Indians have some pitching, too, that hasn't been healthy this year. I mean, yeah. I mean pitching is always a year-to-year proposition, but, you know, if you think about Bieber and Plissack and some of the young guys they've got there, um, who threw was it Quantra, I think threw a really good game the other day. We've seen that McKenzie kid be really good against the Royals. So I mean, they, they've got some pitching. Again, that's a year-to-year thing, but when you've got pitching, you're you're in the mix
0: for sure. And I was going
2: to say the the Royals own the White Sox this year, so I'm not I'm not terribly concerned
0: about about the Southsiders going for it. No, actually, it's you're right. I think the White Sox are set up to have a, a, a nice run of postseason appearances over the next few years. So let's, uh, let's take a break and we'll hear from our sponsor the University of Kansas Health System
3: The Kansas City Royals lineup is backed up by the region's strongest team in healthcare The University of Kansas Health System We both suit up with one goal in mind to win. The
0: University of Kansas Health System, official healthcare provider of the Royals.
3: It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas.
0: Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. I did want to bring up one other name here that I, I, I have Found to be pretty interesting for the Royals over the last few weeks, and that's Domingo Tapia. Lynn, where'd this guy come from? He's been put in some, you know, some pretty tough situations, like Monday night, and has done a pretty darn good job.
2: Yeah, Monday night, he comes in with two runners on, no outs in the sixth inning to take over for Lynch, and what's a two-one game, and gets a strikeout and a double play to end that inning and to keep it two-one. And I believe Mike Matheny's quote was. That's the game right there. As far or as far as he was concerned, that's the game right there. But, yeah, he was most recently in Seattle. This is a guy who I want to say was back in 13, 14, 15, somewhere in there. He was in the Mets farm system. It was looked at as a potential starter. And I still never actually gone back and, and looked it up because I think I may have crossed paths with him temporarily when I was in Binghamton, New York. <laughs> and so, but I do remember, I remember the name. He was supposed to be a starter. He was, you know, part of that big cadre of arms that they had with the Harveys and the Familias and the Wheelers and all those guys at one point in time. But again, this is why you have to get 10 pitchers so that you get two in the end. Is, <laughs> it didn't work out. He bounced around to a couple organizations. I'm trying to remember if he was actually cut or just DFA'd or just sent to the minors for Seattle, but throws about 99, 100. And he's got a really hard slider, and um, that can do some things if you if you use it right. And uh, he's he's been I think just this month in the month of August, he's made twelve appearances, and the ERA is under one. Batting average against is under a hundred, and he's been the guy that they go to. Like, okay, we got to get out of this inning and try and keep it, you know, where it is. It comes Domingo Tapia.
0: That'll play. He's been really good and and terribly interesting. And all of a sudden, there's another part of the future for the Royals. Although he is, he's I think he's thirty. Cut. Been around a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he broke into baseball in 2010, and he has been in baseball for quite a while. Only probably less than 50 major league appearances. He's with the Red Sox for a little bit, and as you said, Seattle, and and now with the Royals. But gosh, he's he's been fun to watch and quite quite effective. So. We've talked on previous shows about what the Royals are going to do with, uh, with center field in the future, but that, the answer may be part of the bigger question I wanted to ask you guys. What's going to happen as, as we look toward next year? How do you see the middle infield shaping up uh, with with the, the candidates of Nikki Lopez, Whit Merrifield, and Alberto Mondesi, along with Bobby Witt? how are we going to see the middle of the field at shortstop, second base and center field among those? And do we have our starting shortstop, second baseman and center fielder among those four players? Sam, what do you
3: think? I think Lopez has won that job. Um, I I think that shortstop. Yeah. I I just think he's, he's had just a really significant 2021 season um, defensively and offensively. He's not going to be a power hitter obviously, but you know, leads the team in on base percentage. It's, Somewhere above 350, I think so. uh, And he's just played the position so well defensively, and I I just I I don't think that the Royals are going to move him off of that the way the way that he's played. And also, I think it matters just the like the kind of teammate he is. I think the Royals value that stuff. So, if I'm right about that, they've had wit, they've had third base in mind for him at times, but um, that's part of why, given Manny Rivera. Um, You know, a lot of time there is to see what they've got there. I keep wondering about wit in center field. Um, I I just think that athleticism, you know, they say if you can play shortstop, you can play anywhere. And I I just think the athleticism, the arm, the instincts, I, I think it would play out there. And look, there's a lot of other factors and I don't know a lot of them. So uh, maybe there's a good reason why why that wouldn't happen. And then I think with Mondesi, there's certain positions you can get by without being able to count on a guy playing 162 or even like 140 or whatever. And I just don't think shortstop's one of them. And so I wonder if they can sort of deploy him, you know, I don't know, four or five times a week uh, as some sort of like super utility guy which could do a couple things. You know, one, you, you can manage sort of the load management. Um, don't, don't we use that term in, in basketball or whatever, but you can sort of harness that a little bit, and you can also fill in different spots around the diamond. He's certainly athletic enough to do it. I just, I don't know. I, I just wonder if that might be what ends up happening. But the one thing that I feel the most sure of out of all that is that Nikki Lopez has won that job. Would you have uh, Merrifield at second base? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that's his best defensive position. I know he can play it, but I, I don't love him in the outfield. He's more than a good enough athlete to do it, but uh, it seems to me that second base is his best position.
2: I think. The more he's played that spot this year, we've really start to see more of how good he can be there. I mean, like he's bounced around so much, and if you go back to nineteen, remember he moved off of second for Nicky Lopez. Like that was basically how they made a spot for Nicky to play every day. Was to say, okay, whip, we're gonna move you off second, and he did it. Even though he even he knew then that you know second was probably his best spot. I mean, he's always said that and felt that way, but. There were some hiccups early. I mean, it was maybe in April when, you know, there was a ball that um, that he didn't feel that cost Keller one of those outings when it seemed like every other game Keller had some ground ball that cost him part of his outing. Uh, I remember he had one of those that was uh, one that we were talking about for a couple of days. But as he's gone along, you've seen him, you know, and he's one of those guys that Mike Matheny's touting about four different guys for a gold glove right off the middle of the defense. and. The numbers say that's not actually that crazy a thing. That's not just manager, you know, telling this guy if you were to stop the season right now, he'd probably be one of the finalists. And Mondesi, you know, is, is he's not going to be counting as an everyday guy. They're going to have to look at at least somebody else in that roster who can play shortstop every day. And I think part of Dayton coming out and saying what he said at the time was, how can you sit there and say that Mondesi is going to be everyday shortstop when Nicky's been playing the way he has, like you couldn't come out and say that. And then look Nicky Lopez in the eye and say, good job kid. Like, no, nah, I wasn't going to, that wasn't going to work.
1: Weigh in by no, not, really not much to add, but it's just an interesting premise. That, as you guys have laid it out with the way Nicky Lopez has played, you know, part of the point that you're making, I think is that the, the durability and the uh, dependability, the, the notion that that's every day, right. That, Maybe if you're going to look at it that way, then, then, you know, it's not like Mondesi's playing there twice a week, right? You're thinking more about a different position from Mondesi. And are we looking at any scenario where we're thinking about Mondesi and Witt both in the outfield? Maybe not. I kind of uh, have a little, little spider sense about Witt maybe at third base, but like you said, Sam, that's why they're, they're checking out Rivera a little more now. We'll see what that adds up to, but I just had not really thought before, very much and I should have about the idea that, you know, Nicky Lopez has really entrenched himself. Talk about a guy taking advantage of the opportunity after <laughs> really a crazy turn. Anyway, nothing else to add. Just, just, it's just great food for thought from you guys.
3: The, the one thing I, I think that it's also worth keeping in mind when we go through this stuff is it's easy to get caught up in Mondesi hurt, Mondesi hurt, you know, the oblique, all this, all this stuff, but it's, also true that the the Royals are in a really good spot here. They, they've got three guys who can play above average big league shortstop. You know, say what you want about Mondesi, but that's that's a situation that a lot of teams would trade for. The Royals can do a lot of different things uh, depending on how the rest of the roster works out. But they, they're just they're insulated really well at that position, you know, having three guys like that.
0: I know we established early that the Royals could be you know, a couple years away from the playoffs, but I just like the idea with its developing pitching staff and the additions of Mondesi and Witt, Bobby Witt, to the lineup next year, that you could be looking at a you know a team that in the second half of the season could could make a push, especially if look at Jackson Kowar develops, Brady Singer decides to throw and master a third pitch, you know the types of things that were that we've talked a lot about, but Baseball's a sport of optimism, and the present tense isn't always the best tense to talk about baseball. <laughs> so we're going to fast forward to August of 2022 to, to talk about this team. But, but one, one player who, who's tearing up the present tense is Salvador Perez. With every home run, every game, it seems like, he, he does something special. And I sure would like to see him. I, I think in a year where Shoney Otani's going to deservedly be the American League MVP – I sure would like to see Salvi finish in the top five for this, just for his career legacy and to help build his credentials as a hall of Fame player. He's having a season that compares favorably among the best offensive seasons by a catcher. But what can we say about Salvador Perez and the season that he's having? and he's still got more than, you know, more than a month to add on to his totals, which are now? 33 home runs, 81 RBIs. I thought that Ryan and, and Rex made a great point last night. He's hitting almost 100 points above his career average, swinging at breaking balls. Before they hit the home run, didn't he let a couple of breaking balls from Grinky, you know, dart outside that he laid off, and then swatted the the home run into the Crawford boxes last night? So, what about Salvador Perez, Lynn, and the season he's having and his value to this team?
2: Two more walks last night. That's right. we got to point that out for Salvador Perez. So he's up, uh, up to 10 this season? <laughs> Actually, I've got to go look at the number. But, yeah, he um, – 17. Did, I've got it in front of me because I'm a dork. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, because um, he's had – that's at least two games, maybe more, but at least two games with two walks for Salvi. That's um, stop the presses type stuff, you know. But, yeah, I mean, for playing that position behind the plate, taking the beating that he's taking. I mean, you don't have to go back that far. Go back, you know, just, you know, within this week we had that game where he took, you know, a ball off of the knee, a bat that hit him on the finger on the backswing, and then took a, you know, foul ball straight back off the helmet and out, didn't even get the face mask. It went right off the helmet. So it was, you know, not one of those where the face mask designed to sort of like take away some of that impact. It was, no, right on the helmet. And then didn't even miss the full day because he, he got in it that late, but he didn't, didn't missed the day behind the plate. And he's played all but one game this season, that one game that he pinch hit, but then missed one entire game. He's among the league leaders in home runs. I'd have to go look and see who the other catcher is that's anywhere near that as far as him. Just having a career year. I mean, it's not like he's hitting 230 and just mashing like you see a lot of guys doing now. I mean, he's he's like 270. I mean, like he's, you know, um, he's swinging it pretty dang good and he's taking his walks. I think if the Royals had a better record, he'd probably be getting a lot more attention as far as look at that season that Salvo Perez has had. Can I say like two
3: quick statistical things about him? One is he, he's DHing more than he ever has in, in his career. But when I looked this up, at least yesterday, uh, he was third in baseball in innings caught. He, he's, st- he's still taking on, you know, kind of a lion's share of this thing. And I also just looked this up since the elbow surgery. He's played 160 games, basically a, a full season. And this is basically since he turned 30 as well, slugging 551, 31 doubles, 44 home runs. It it really is remarkable, this guy that everybody thought, the Royals too internally, thought was going to go like this as he got older just
1: because of all this wear and tear.
3: (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's not logical at all. It makes no sense, but it's it's exactly what's happening. It's crazy.
1: Just uh, to chime in really quickly, I mean, so he spent... Almost half his life in the Royals organization, ten years in the big leagues now. And to Sam's point, the Royals felt this way. And any by any logical measure, I think we surely figured at least something like that. Yeah. And instead, he just getting older, getting stronger. There's a there's a Marvel character. It happens to be a villain, but in, in Salvi's case, he's a he's one of the good guys. The the absorbing man. The more stuff he takes, the stronger he gets. I think of that with Salvi sometimes. You know, get hit in the head, hit on the knee, yeah. gets older. Eh just get stronger
0: <laughs> on a future show we'll talk about how not playing in 2019 just may have changed his trajectory at the plate what did he learn and you know in that year but he you're right Sam in the last uh, 2020 and 2021 he has just been one of the best hitters in, in baseball it's it's great to see and you know talk about him being overlooked just because of the the record of the team it was like he was overlooked in the in the home run derby this year at the all-star <laughs> game um, <laughs> That's just the nature of playing in in Kansas City, I I suppose. All right. A week from today, uh, we will uh, reconvene to talk Royals again, and we will be on the eve of call-ups, right? It's September 1st for the call-ups, which is a Wednesday, and we will be able to talk about if we already know who it is by then, or we can certainly speculate the heck out of that uh, this time next (laughs) week. So for Vahe Gregori and Lynn Worthy, Sam Mellinger, and our producer, Beth Welsh, thanks for tuning in. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our Sportsbeat KC production staff of Beth Welsh, Monty Davis, Jeff Rosen, Chris Fickett, and Savannah Smith. A tip of the cap to Lynn Worthy, Sam Mellinger, and Baha Gregorian for stopping by and talking. Royals, links to their stories can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Hey, we have another deal for you. You can subscribe to SportsPass Pass for 99 cents a month. That's right, 99 pennies a month. Sports Pass is the online version of the Star Sports section. You get all the stories that appear in the print editions of the Star, plus additional stories that appear only on the website, and of course they're posted first on kansascity.com. After three months, it auto-renews at $5.99 a month, unless you cancel. It's a great time to subscribe. Read about what's going on with the Chiefs getting ready for their third preseason game Friday against the Vikings. Those hot Royals, the colleges, and all the realignment stories that are happening, our soccer teams, and more. How do you get it? You go to kansascity.com/sportspass2020. That's kansascity.com/sportspass2020. So whether it's the Sports Pass or the full subscription, you're getting and supporting the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City and helping us produce programs like Sports BKC. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back on Wednesday with another episode.